Welcome to What You Will, a tedious and brief Shakespeare podcast. I'm Charlotte Aline. And I'm Danielle Kahn. And today we're going to talk about the play Much, Much Ado, Ado About, about nothing. nothing. Yuck, 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 yuck. It's a good comedy. It's a play about a woman who just likes to role play. Oh, yeah. This whole play is just kink shaming Margaret. It's a play about a guy who just wants to fuck up his brother's day. It's a play about a friendly constable who can't remember words real good, but that's the only <laughs> joke about him, and they just keep doing that joke over and over again. It works. It's a play about a couple of older men who like to hang out with their kids and those friends and just gossip. It's a play about a man who seems to have infinite nieces. <laughs> just so many Leonardo nieces. has nieces for days. Yeah. At one point when his brother shows up, but then the brother is not with Beatrice's his parent. Yeah. I just... He's got brothers coming out of his ears. Freya, our cat, is... <laughs> don't know if you can hear our cat. She has a lot of feelings about Much Ado, and so she wants to be part of it. She's just howling. Come on, Freya. So now's the part of the podcast where we give you a summary of the play, but in three minutes only. And now we'll start. <laughs> so it's... Um, we're in Italy, and the prince and two soldiers are coming back from the wars, and it's Benedict who's like a funny guy who's like, Psh, I'm never getting married, whatever, who cares? And Claudio, who's like, me, I'm young and hot. And they're staying with this dude, Leonardo, who has a mega hot daughter, Hero, and this like sassy, really smart niece, who's Beatrice, also pretty hot. Who's also yeah. pretty hot, but like, mostly she's smart. Um, and Claudio's like, Hero, oh, she's so hot, I love her. And Benedict's like, Beatrice, gross, uh, as if, whatever. And Beatrice is also like, Benedict, I hate that guy. <laughs> Ew, who would ever like Benedict? And uh, so everyone's like, oh, well, Hero should marry Claudio. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So they ask for her hand. Or no, so the, they divide as a plan where the prince is like, hey, I'm a prince, so they won't turn me down. So I will go <laughs> to this ball that we're going to, and I will ask Hero for Hero's hand, and she'll say yes, and then I'll give her to you, Claudio. And he's like, great, a wonderful plan. Um, meanwhile, the prince's brother, Don John, dun, 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 comes dun. out, and he's just like, I'm evil. <laughs> I'm going to fuck up my brother's day and I'm going to do it in a very complicated way by ruining this marriage. So he and his friend devise a plot where they're going to make it seem like Hero is cheating on Claudio to humiliate everyone and make them sad. And then they have a masked ball because of course they do. Um, and so the prince flirts with Hero and Claudio instantly forgets the plan. He's like, the prince is flirting with my girl. And then the prince is like, I want her hand for you, Claudio. And he's like, oh, that's good. And then Beatrice <laughs> and Benedict do some more uh, bantering in masks. And again, are like, whatever, I hate that guy, who cares? And um, so then, but then Don John's plan goes into action and he has his BFF Braccio um, woo this girl, Margaret, dressed as hero. And he makes Claudio and the prince watch it and they're like, she's cheating. But uh, luckily, a bunch of really dumb constables apprehend the <laughs> villains as they're discussing their villainous plot using the word villain over and over again. Um, and they take them away to be like, I bet there's something wrong with this. We're going to get to the bottom of it. Um, but with more weird language mix-em-ups. Anyway, um, meanwhile, all of uh, Benedict and Beatrice's friends are like, you know who would make a really good match? Benedict and Beatrice. We're going to trick them. So we're going to just like find times that they think that we can't see them. Them, and we're going to talk very loudly about them at being in love. And then they'll both be like, whoa, the other one's in love with me. I'm going to be in love with them. And so they do that plan and it works. 
Not it, the wedding. It totally works, and it's the wedding, and Claudia's like, fuck you, hero, how dare you? And she's like, literally, what did I do to you ever? And she gets so upset that she faints, and the prince and Claudio run away, and uh, Benedict's like, Beatrice, I love you, and she's like, such bad timing. And this friar is like, hero, pretend to be dead, so they do that, um, and meanwhile, the constables catch everyone, and it all works out okay, and Cla- Claudio has to like marry a niece who turns out to be hero in the end, and then everyone gets married, and Beatrice and Benedict get married too, and it's all fine. The end. The end. So, so let's start with the title of this play. Yeah, that feels like the most, the, the startest of the start <laughs> is like, what's on your playbill when you walk in the theater before anyone's uttered a line? It's a triple entendre. A triple entendre. Yeah. So first level, much ado about nothing. Everyone's making a big deal about nothing because Don John just contrives the whole plot out of his own sweet mind yeah and also really everything that happens is kind of people making a big deal out of nothing like like beatrice and benedict don't actually haven't been confessing their love for each other their friends make that up and then they make a big deal out of it and like it's also just from the beginning like well claudia makes a big deal about here cheating on him when she wasn't and even don john makes a big deal out of nothing he's like i'm gonna ruin my brother's day for no reason just because i hate that guy and beatrice and benedict spend the first half of the play being like "Ugh, whatever beatrice gross benedict as if when they both really have a crush on each other and they're just making this huge deal out of Nothing. nothing yeah so one it's that Two, uh, nothing would have been pronounced noting at the time, which also meant eavesdropping. And this play is chock-a-block full, wall-to-wall with eavesdropping. Yeah, basically every plot point except for the friar being like, fake your own death, (laughs) is based on eavesdropping. And even that is because the friar just happens to be in the room while drama is happening. Like, the, the, the trick itself that Don John plays is based on eavesdropping and the the i want to call it like the mouse trap like the the, the gulling the scenes. love trick yes is, is them they usually call them the gulling scenes yes. which is like the least sexy yeah phrasing. i also wait side note on the gulling scenes mm-hmm. i love that beatrice and benedict's friends know them well enough that they're like <laughs> if we come on stage Beatrice and Benedict will hide and eavesdrop on us. Oh, yeah. Like, it's not like they walk in and they're, like, being casual. Like, literally, I think maybe it's Benedict. One of them, at least, has a line where he's like, I'm going to hide and listen. Mm -hmm. But also, they know that he's going to do that. And they, like, are counting on it, which I think is so funny. I also think, weirdly, this play is such an argument for love and emotional reactions in general based on language and words and communication yeah that there's a lot so much comes from like overhearing people talking and from how one person talks to another and that it's it's kind of nice it's nice that that's the the linchpin of all the romance here except for claudia looking at hero and being like she's hot but claudia sucks so there's that. So, there it is. Um, and then the third one, which is probably the most fun. The sauciest. Is the, yes, is that nothing was slang for a, a lady's lady's bits. Mm. Um, so it's sort of much ado about nothing is the equivalent of like all about pussy. Yup. Is like, the, would be the modern title but of But there the would movie. be like a picture of a cat on the cover. Yeah, because it does have these two other layers. So you can't call Shakespeare out for being body. I mean, you can. You can't. <laughs> well, but I mean, like, nobody could be like, that's filthy. Because it's also those other things. Yeah. You'd be like, no, it's not. Winky face. But even... <laughs> but yeah, if, if I were doing a, a modern day adaptation, it would be called All About Pussy. And there would they would like run a cat 
pet store or something. <laughs> like, be like, like a, a, a little cat on the cover. They, they would all be uh, theater students putting on a production of cats. cats. Oh my God. Actually, I have some feelings about that because so much of this play just feels like middle schoolers, yeah. maybe high schoolers. But honestly, it feels like middle schoolers because they're not doing anything. Like they're not... I don't know, active in the way that high schoolers are. They're just gossiping. And it's and it's very much the middle school thing of like, will you tell Shirley that I have a crush on her mm-hmm. and like check yes or no? Like mm-hmm. the fact that Claudio has done uh, Don Pedro, Pedro woo for him. Yeah. He's like, you're cooler. She'll say yes, and then you can give her to me. Like, also, what? <sighs> what? Anyway. Yeah, but so and also, I think the fact that it's focused on female sexuality i mean you could do the the slightly more you know patriarchal reading of it of like all this big deal about ladies meh ladies silly or you could say that like the whole play is sort of like pivots around female desire and female sexuality in this way where like claudia is so afraid of herosexuality but then also like margaret's out here tearing up the town sleeping with baraccio and like Beatrice is out here being like pretty upfront with the fact that she's like, hey, no, I don't want to get married. And yeah, Benedict and I did kind of have a fling at some point in our lives. What of it? And yeah, because she does make a, a fair number of, of jokes that imply that she's she's like, I don't want to get married. But at no point is she like, and men are not for me. I will be a nun. Like, yeah, she's clearly attracted to men. She has that line about like, um, if he's a youth, I'm not for him. Yeah, like, well, also <laughs> that at some point someone's like, so what, you're going to die unmarried? She's like, hell yeah, I'm going to grow up in heaven and God's going to be like, right this way, Beatrice, here are all the bachelors and I'm going to have a good afterlife. Yeah, also, it's sort of a, a double thing, though, of like, if you're a maid, you're going to go to heaven. Yeah. That's, I don't know, that's funny. And then she, it's like that Liz Lemon She's like, quote, it's my guarantee. <laughs> it's like that Liz Lemon quote that I live uh, lead my life by where she's like, yeah, first I'll buy a wedding dress, then I'll have a baby, then I'll die, and then I'll meet a really cute guy in heaven. <laughs> which I'm like, same, Liz. As opposed to mine, which is yes to life, yes to love, yes to staying in more. Uh, or working on my night cheese. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, <laughs> so that's the title. Um, so it sets us up for like, this is a comedy. It's a comedy, it's a comedy, it's a comedy. And it's a romantic comedy. It's a romantic it's a comedy. It's a sexy body comedy. And... It's so delightful because much like Comedy of Errors, it does not have a complex plot that, you know, gets very heavy and like there's a war, but it's so far in the background. Well, and it's also like over, question mark, or they're back from it. They're back from it. Um, But also it's just like, oh, our kitchen's beeping at us. Hush kitchen. Kitchen has an opinion about what you do about nothing. Uh, But also it's just like so witty, whereas Comedy of Errors is this play that's very rooted in like physical humor and broad comedy. This one is like all about this erudite wit and sparring of minds. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think like two different types of comedy. Well, yeah, but also I think pairing that with this comedy that's like openly about sexuality kind of pairs sexuality and like witty banter together in this way that is like the linchpin of our modern romantic comedy well, genre. I do think also it's it's interesting. I was not surprised, but I love how much you love Benedict and Beatrice because I, I absolutely agree. They are everything. I love them. We'll talk mm-hmm. about them in a second. <laughs> but um, I think that they are sort of the proto of 
I think that they are prototypical of a lot of our like now stereotypical rom-coms where oh, yeah. it's like they're the two people who are kind of mean to each other and they don't like each other and then somehow they end up together and it's fine. Which I think has been sort of like bastardized in a yes. way. And where sometimes we still get that, which is honestly delicious and I love that. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we get like just one of them being mean in rom-coms today. And a yeah. lot of times it's the dude where it's like a mean guy and a girl who teaches him how to love by being sweet. Which is like, whatever, you can keep your, your rom-coms, it's fine. But I think there's something very satisfying about this one, this first one, where they're on equal footing and that's what's sexy about them. Yeah. And, and they're also not like mean to each other in a way that feels truly hurtful because they're so evenly matched and yes. because they're being so witty that it's more like a contest and it never feels like they're really putting each other down in a way that's out of line. Yes, and I, I think so many of these proto-rom-com couples, Beatrice and Benedict, um, you know, hundreds of years later, Darcy and Lizzie I was going to bring up Pride and Prejudice. I mean, Benedict is way more of like a trash man funny guy than uh, Darcy is because Darcy's just like a socially awkward bachelor. But it's this idea of like this couple who are very evenly matched in terms of their intelligence and they get off on the wrong foot and then we watch over the course of this story of them coming to realize that their passionate feelings for each other are in fact rooted in romance. And I feel like, yeah, like you just said, so many of the versions of this rom-com have come to us over the centuries it's become this weird like this man is a big grumpus and he's really mean and it's almost like benedict and hero and it's like the girl is like quirky and sweet and gonna teach him how to live life and like no one wants (laughs) to see benedict and hero make out gross no you want to see benedict and beatrice benedict (laughs) i definitely just said benedict does his name mean good dick technically <laughs> benna is good and dick is dick so he's that good dick <laughs> oh boy I, we're both unlike beatrice we're both going to hell um but yeah so I, I do i do love that sort of the best version of that rom-com couple well and the other thing that i love about them speaking of, of rom-coms and and similarly this a lot of pride and prejudice uh uh I think that Shakespeare probably based it on Pride and Prejudice, honestly. like On Pride and Prejudice and on that upcoming Rebel Wilson film where she knows she's in a rom-com. <laughs> and everyone's just like, yeah, this is who we are, I guess. Yep. Um, but I like that the one of the lessons that Benedict and Beatrice both have to learn, and particularly Beatrice, is to get over their own pride. Yeah. Because I do think that from the beginning, they both clearly have an, a preoccupation with one another. Yes. Whether or not they're aware that it's romantic. And that they are lucky that they have friends looking out for them enough to know them well enough to trick them by insinuating <laughs> that the other likes them because that takes that, like, scary moment away. But they still have the moment at the wedding where he's like, uh, what's the line? I, I love no, no one so well as you. Is that not strange? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I just fucked it up, but it's something like that. And I, I do think that no matter how certain you are that the other person likes you, that moment is still scary. And I yeah. love that it's scary. And I also, I don't think that this is what it has to be, but the fact that one of the first things Beatrice does, other than like triple talking around herself because she's not like, yummy yeah, too. Um, she's like, I do, I'm not, I confess nothing. I, uh, yeah. Um, but same is that also she then gives him this like weirdly difficult task mm-hmm. to prove himself. 
Like, she's not immediately like, great, he's in love with me. She's like, if you're in love with me, you have to go beat your friend up. And to kill again, him. to kill him. She's like, and to be fair, she, I think she genuinely is super angry and wants Claudio to be dead because he just fucked with her cousin. Mm-hmm. But I also think that there is a deeper emotional layer of one, like, if you love me, you gotta prove it. Yeah. And also, maybe the, and this is, again, this is the most rich interpretation, but I think sometimes when we're scared that someone's going to hurt us or reject us, and especially if they have mm-hmm. this history, that maybe there's a room for, when you give people impossible tasks. Yeah. So that you know they'll fail you. Yeah. And yeah. he doesn't. He doesn't fail her. Well, also, they don't need to kill Claudio because then the plot shows up and is like, oh, it's all fine now. But then I love, even that after the plot, like, resolves and Beatrice and Benedict are together at the, you know, wedding take two, all their friends are like, so you guys are in love now. And both of them are like, no, gross. And then all their friends are like, guys, come on. We just did a whole play. We all know. And I think... Ugh, in the Kenneth Branagh version, he has them kiss during their first confession of love scene, and I think you got to put it off until the end because you got to ride out that sexual tension. Well, and also because he literally says like something like, I- "I'm going to stop your mouth," and it yeah. says in, in the stage directions like while kissing her. Yeah, and so I-, I do think that there's something about like Shakespeare was very clear. Like yes. there are not a lot of kisses that are written into the stage that directions, one is there. but that one is there, and I think because it's got that kind of weight both in the language and in the moment the more you put it off Um, the the more yeah but like you just said they're both really afraid of being vulnerable yeah which is they're both used to being the clown and to being Mm -hmm. funny and to being smart and to the idea that like and it's also like really lovely that you know Hero and Claudio and another version of this play where it's maybe even a tragedy Hero and Claudio are our heroes but in this version, Beatrice and Benedict are our heroes, and both of them are, like, the funny best friend. Yeah. I mean, they get to take center stage in a big way in this play, and, like, from the get-go, both of them are like, where's Benedict? Ugh, I hate him. I hope he doesn't come. Whatever. Who cares? <laughs> but we, both of them have this, like, very small, like, they, they front a lot saying, like, ah, I'm never getting married. Who cares? But, like, Benedict storms out in one scene and is like, I would never marry Beatrice. And everyone's like, no one was talking about you marrying Beatrice. And even in the scene, like, right before the gulling scene, he, like, has this weird monologue where he's like, marriage? Psh, what's that? And then as soon as it's done, he's like, well, I never really thought about marriage, <laughs> but I guess. Yeah, but it, it feels like a lot of that is just sort of the walls that people put up where they're like, I'm the funny one. I make jokes. It doesn't matter. I don't even even want love because then you're not disappointed I don't when it doesn't work out. <laughs> I have no personal empathy for the plight of the funny person who's proud. Yeah, and it's almost like they don't like. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think Beatrice does have. Well, both of them front a lot as though they have a lot of self esteem, but then I think when you get them alone in these moments, um, when Benedict reacts to his gulling scene. It's all in prose. And he's got this moment of like, love? Oh my God. Okay. And then every time we see him alone after that, he's this sort of lovely, vulnerable, like... And he's like, I'm trying to write a poem. I'm really bad at writing really poems. Bad. Which I also think is cute that then his, his like, I'm in love is not in verse because he's bad at writing poems. Yeah. And it's just like so much more honest than whenever Claudio... Um, whether he's yelling at Hero or praising her, he goes into this very highfalutin verse where he's comparing her to Greek goddesses. Which is particularly interesting because this play has so little verse in it. Like, yeah. really, everybody's on the same plane. They're all just rich people. 
who talk in prose, which is unusual. Usually higher born and people who are mm-hmm. in love are more versy, but not not here. And then when Beatrice has her going scene, she immediately goes into verse and talks about how she's going to put aside her pride. And I think it's like weirdly shows how together they're both so opposed, but a perfect match. That yin yang. Yeah, they're yin and yang. And also the same person a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I feel like for her going into prose is that's her version of being vulnerable because she puts up so many walls of being like body and talking herself up and whatever. And when she like truly lets herself be gushy and romantic, it's like she does have those feelings like any normal person. Yeah. And it's also that um, I, I also like that a part of that little speech for her is about being like whoa does everyone really think that I'm that like much of a bitch like that that I would be that like mean to him if he confessed his love to me and that I'm so proud and so I also think again in terms of part of why this play is great is that it is a love story and it's I guess it's technically two love stories Mm -hmm. um maybe three if you count the brothers just kidding if you Um, count Margaret and Baraccio three if you count Margaret and Baraccio but relationship it's, goals. it's that it's also about these two people like genuinely growing into mm-hmm. their, I would say actually all of them, except for Megan Braccio, who are just chilling. <laughs> like everybody has to grow a little to be ready for the relationship that they're taking on. Yeah. And I also love that Beatrice and Benedict seem to be, I don't think they're old, but they're certainly not teen young lovers. They're yeah. both mature people. Um, uh, two things. Okay. First, I like that Beatrice's weird like self-esteem, but also like she doesn't take herself seriously in a romantic sense uh, really comes to the forefront when Don Pedro proposes to her. And it's like, he's kind of doing it in a like, oh, it's a joke unless you, you're into it yeah. way. And she replies in a very measured response being like, oh, you wouldn't want me. And plus like, you're too rich for my use. I would need another one for working days, which yeah. is like a fun joke. And also like letting him down gently, but also a little bit like, come on, be serious. That would never that wouldn't work out. And it's like, I don't think Beatrice realizes that like guys think she's awesome. <laughs> you know, or a lot, you know, everyone in the play is like, Beatrice is really smart and, and pretty. And, do they talk about her being pretty? They, they do. do a couple of times. I, I always, I, I noticed it just because I don't think of that as generally being part of the play is I think of them as like Claudio and hero are like the slightly less personality couple. That's all about being pretty. And she and Benedict are the, the really fun witty couple. That's not about that. But like, they do mention like, and, eh, they're pretty, both of them. And then my second point, I have forgotten. Great, which I actually wanted to chat about. Um, do 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 do. Uh, the the placement of when Shakespeare wrote this play. Yeah, because it was between Henry IV Part Two and Henry V. Yeah. Right. What do you think about that? Well, one, he's like clearly kind of at his peak of of writing. <laughs> like he's really the gears are turning at this point. We've gotten past all of these early plays that are kind of trial runs we see in much ado a lot of character archetypes just like way more fleshed out like beatrice has a few vibes of kate but you know is her own is her own person and not as mean i also really like that even the bros like felt like different people and they they wrote us a scene at the beginning to be like this is why they're friends Mm -hmm. where i was like oh okay and even throwing us the bone of like claudio had seen hero once so that it's not just like he saw her across the room. We'll get to that later. Yeah. Um, but, but just things that it feels like he, he addresses with like deftly without even meaning to or caring. But then also it's weird that this play is like they come back from the wars. So it's almost like a break from 
serious life and we get to break into this like fun rom-com for a minute and it's also a really fun after especially coming right after henry four part one and two um which has some female characters kind of Lady but Percy's like pretty badass yeah yeah but um, a, a lot of it, like, the chief relationship is Falstaff and Hal. Yeah, they're fathers and sons. Yeah, and to then go into a play where it's, like... The ladies' turn. The ladies being witty and smart and holding their own against princes. Um, it, it's just, it's really lovely Refreshing. and feels... Yeah, and feels like... Yeah, also, uh, it was it's interesting to me, or just, like, makes me giggle a little bit, because to me... Henry IV Part Two and especially Henry V are so much plays about like a young man learning how to be a good leader mm-hmm. and what it means to be a prince and what it means to be a king. And so I think it's also a little funny that in this play, the prince is, does fuck all. Like, he does nothing. Like, yep. he sort of asks some girl to marry his friend. Like, he doesn't <laughs> rule. He doesn't lead. He has no thoughts about, like, responsibility or mm-hmm. anything. So it, it does feel like a breath of fresh air, but it is funny that it's still set in this, like, higher-born world, but without any of the, like, angst or big questions <laughs> That those yeah. other plays ask, which is also good because we, we don't need them because the other plays are asking them and this one asks a different set of questions. I also think it's fun that the Henriette is such a coming-of-age story and this one is really not. Like, I think we didn't talk a lot about this, but Beatrice implies that she and Benedict had some kind of relationship yeah. prior. I mean, we know that she knows him because her first line is like, oh, is that asshole with you? And they're like, who is that? What are you talking about? Because she calls him Senor... Montanto or something. Yeah, uh, something about a rapier. It's a joke where, like, he's a prick. Yeah. Um, Like, is, is, like, Captain Dickhead with you? And they're like, who's that? She's like, Benedict, of course. Yeah, and someone's like, oh, she hates Benedict. And she's like, oh, how many has he killed in the battle? Because I promised to eat all he killed. And they're like, what the, who are you? What is (laughs) happening? But, like, and then later on... um, Also, pause, because I promised to eat every man he killed (laughs) is so fucking funny. Because he has, she knows that he hasn't killed anyone. (laughs) so funny. Uh, They're so good. And Um, that also implies they have history, because she couldn't have promised that before the war if they didn't know each other. And she has that line, which you brought to my attention, about the... um, he gave me his heart and I gave him a double heart, but then he lost it. And she has this very, very vague uh, line about like, yeah, he lent me his heart once and I gave him back a double heart, which could either mean a false heart. Like she betrayed him or cheated on him or that she gave him like twice as much of her heart as he did of his. And then he like, he won it from her, but with false dice, something, they had some weird moment thing. in the woods. They yeah. either, they hooked up and then he had to leave or they fought or whatever. But I like the, if you richly interpret it, the implication can be that like they were younger and so caught up in their own pride and their own like putting up walls of like, whatever, I'm the funny one, who cares? That they were unable to have a relationship before, and now that they're a little more mature and a little more worldly, they can sort of meet each other. And that their friends are tricking them. And that their friends have tricked them. (laughs) They can sort of meet each other where they are. And so it's just nice because um, in the middle of this series of plays that's about, like, the classic young man coming of age... And, like, he wins the war and gets the girl and blah, blah, blah. And, like, you know, there's a little, there's more nuance to it than that. And he deals with his father figures. To have this story where it's, like, 
I don't know. I, I feel like reading it, I read Benedict and Beatrice as like 30-somethings. Me too. Um, which, who knows, adjust that for the time period. But they're like a little bit more over the hill, but still capable of having this romance and growing and changing. Which like, you can if you're old too. Yeah, but I think that's what this yeah. play is is doing, which is which is nice. And it just feels like a nice uh, counterbalance. Yeah, a super different play, but, but equally... I mean, sort of like Beatrice and Benedict themselves, equally well-matched in what it's doing. And it also feels like it makes a little more sense that Shakespeare's just like, oh, whatever, Don John shows up and he's the villain and the plot doesn't mean anything. I just want to write a lot of great, funny love Jokes scenes. Jokes and love scenes. Yeah, yeah, that if you know that he's in the middle of writing these very intense histories, that this is like, and here's a fun one. Yeah, here's a fun one. <laughs> just tossing that one out there. Yeah, oh, I just love Beatrice and Benedict so much. They're just so good. I also like that they're they're so similar and that gets joked about a lot, but also so different. Like their voices are very different. I think he's not quite as smart as she is, although he's close. And I also think Beatrice, I mean, it's Beatrice's play if you have to pick one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my God. Uh, this the I'm reading the Folger uh, Library General Reader Edition um, is the one that I have where the cover is, is pretty wild. Beatrice is rocking like a beehive hairdo. Um, but the intro to it is this weird sort of like, this is a play about witty women, and clearly Shakespeare thought that women could be witty too. We have to assume that Beatrice is like based on the real woman he was sleeping with. Who knows who they were, because they like certainly weren't his wife. I'm just like, damn, Folger. Shit. Leave Anne alone. Like, all right, you don't have to come for Anne Hathaway like that. Um, but also like clearly, even if you're reading it through a weird misogynist worldview, it's Beatrice's play, and she echoes all these sentiments that crop up in like more less comedic uh female characters in Shakespeare like in that scene where Benedict finally confesses his love to her and he's just kind of like oh we're in love oh great I'm so happy and like wants to kiss her and stuff and she's like ah kill Claudio first I'm still really upset about my cousin no 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 none of this and he's kind of like I'm not gonna kill my best friend and she's like fine then you don't love me yeah, um, but she's got that whole moment of like, I wish I were a man. I would eat his heart in the marketplace. Like, she's got a lot of this pent up anger a- about being a woman in a man's world that Benedict is just kind of like, uh, mm, okay, honey, I I guess I'll kill Claudio. Which yeah. <laughs> I also like that he doesn't have to address that, really. Yeah. <laughs> that the play just kind of fixes it for him. He's like, whew, bullet dodged. But um, yeah, I mean, that's like a a Lady M moment of like, I wish I were a man so I could do this shit that you're too chicken shit to do. Like, I wish that I had that power. Um, Which also, I don't know, is interesting positioning it in the middle of the Henriette, a play about like manhood and coming into manhood, getting this female character who's like, I understand more about what it is to be a man and like, die for what you care about than you do. Well, and it, it is interesting because it feels like she's the only one who has that reaction to it. Like, mm-hmm. everyone else is like, either Claudio and his bros and is like, she's a whore, and then leave to go to the bar, presumably. Mm-hmm. Um, or the friar who's like, oh gosh, that was so, um, a lot just happened there. Do you want a roofie? Or, <laughs> or you know, the dad who's like, oh no. And even the dad and hero and everyone's like, oh gosh, what a tragedy that just happened. But the only one who's like, that was Claudio's fault. That was inappropriate behavior. Like, not only is he wrong, but that was so shitty and someone needs to punish him. The only one who has that reaction is Beatrice. Beatrice has that reaction 
whether or not Hero is innocent, too. Yeah, she's like, it's irrelevant. I can tell you she's innocent because I'm with her literally all the time. Yeah. But also, how dare he? Yeah. Ugh. Feminist icon. Yeah, she's super cool. Also, totally non sequitur. I like the Act 5 of this play more than I like a lot of Shakespeare's (laughs) Act 5. Because I feel like a lot of times Act 5 is like a giant scene or two where they're like, now we have to make sure everybody knows yep. that I think this one's cool because he broke it up into a lot of littler scenes. Mm-hmm. And then the scene that would usually be the really long scene, one arrives to us in Dogberry, who's like funny. <laughs> and then the the other one is the, the, the trick where they're like, you're going to marry this niece and surprise, it's hero. And it happens like visually and really quickly. And I just appreciate that. And it also, none of it feels like extra fat. It doesn't feel unnecessary because the play is so rooted in its characters that we need to see all the characters like do the thing. Yeah. Also, why is Beatrice not anyone's heir? Because they're like, well, Hero is Leonardo's heir because she's his uh-huh. only kid. But then when Hero's dead, Leonardo's like, I have another niece and she's actually the heir for like me and all my brothers. Maybe Beatrice is the daughter of his sister or something. Yeah, or maybe she's younger. She might just not have... But Beatrice is for sure older than Hero. Yeah, but there there could be an older niece. Impossible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I just... I don't know. I thought that was... Also, maybe it all goes to Leonardo's... Oh, no, I get what you're saying. Leonardo might just have another brother. I don't know enough about the rules. I don't know enough about the rules of secession in Messina. Um, (laughs) But I I do think it's interesting that it's... as, As the end of... Many Shakespeare plays, it's sort of like, you know what, let's throw, not necessarily throw class out the window, but throw this, like, conflict out, conflict the, out the window. And also, like, Beatrice and Benedict, neither of them really stand to gain any, like, material wealth by marrying each other. They're just gonna be happy. They're just gonna be so happy and, like, bicker constantly. It's, it's... And get that good Benedict. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 what else <laughs> I, it's so funny because i feel like this play is so wonderful it's so lovely there's like not as much funny. to like jab at <laughs> yeah i mean it's just uh, we we i i have problems with Claudio and I have problems with not problems but Don John is certainly one of the the slighter of Shakespeare's villains yeah but the feels play... like he wants to be Iago but just has so less much less motivation that you're like why guy why are you doing that it's like when yeah when you're making like Aaron the Moor look like a really three-dimensional villain <laughs> compared to you it's like oh boy like at least Aaron the Moor has reasons <laughs> cut Titus too um, for you. <laughs> but uh yeah I do think it's just such, it's Beatrice and Benedict's play to such a degree. The play was known uh, at certain points over its uh, lifetime as Beatrice and Benedict. Oh, but actually that's one of the things I was thinking about is that I love that it really is their play. It's play about them and they're written as the most delightful characters. They're written at the forefront of it, blah, blah, blah. They're hilarious. Um, However, this other whole, like, half of the play exists, right? Like, the Claudio and the hero and the friar. Um, And it feels like in a lesser play, they could feel kind of disjointed and, like, why is that even here and fall to the background? But I love that that Shakespeare brings it all together Mm -hmm. by making 
Beatrice, the moment of like confessing love, right? When Benedict is like, okay, I really love you. And Beatrice is like, me too, I guess. I don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, That she's like, you have to kill Claudio. And I think it's a really interesting way of like tying it all together. And then similarly, there's like all these mix-em-ups or whatever. But one, because of the title of the play and the the tone of the play, they don't feel super contrived because that's just like part of it. Mm -hmm. But also I like that like, Having a goofy constable isn't just a fun way to make the constable palatable. It's a plot point. Yeah. Because the constable goes to to Leonardo and is like, hey, like, this is a problem. But he's so goofy. Unintelligible that Leonardo's like, I don't know what you're talking about, and leaves. Right? So I, I think that it's just structurally... Shakespeare does a really great job of not only writing characters that are fun to watch, but making the things that make them fun into plot points. Yeah, and I think all the best Shakespeare plays, you can't snip out the subplot without the whole play collapsing. And this is definitely one of the... I mean, you can't even really argue that there is a subplot. Because it's also one. And because Claudio and Hero are part of the convincing Benedict and Beatrice to love each other. You know what I mean? Like, it's all... um, just like so deliciously mashed together yeah and it's interesting because like just reading the play i think if i had to say what's the subplot and what's the a plot i would say well claudio and hero are the a plot and the going scenes with beatrice and benedict are the b plot but beatrice and benedict are clearly the leads yeah so it is this weird like very self-aware structure it seems where it's like hey, we know what you're here for. You're here for the funny side characters who are going to get to take center stage in this one more than you're here for dumbass Claudio being sad over a girl he saw one time. And also, though, having them be the A-plot frames it from the jump as a rom-com. Yeah. Like, we we might, have, in the first scene or so, think that it's Claudio's rom-com, and it very quick, quickly becomes clear that it's Benetrice and Beatrix. Whoa. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Beatrice and Benedict, <laughs> but uh, that quickly is is proven to be in the reverse, but it tonally sets it right at the top, which I think is cool. Uh, I'm just looking at that very first scene between Beatrice and Benedict, and it's like as soon as they see each other, no one else exists on stage. Um, and he's just like talking like, also, it's like a prince and everything, and they're like, greeting Leonardo because they're going to be staying with him and it's all very like courtly and official and then Beatrice breaks in with I wonder that you still uh, that you will still be talking Signor Benedict nobody marks you and he says what my dear lady disdain are you yet living and they just like banter back and forth insulting each other for like a page and a half um, but it, it's just so like one there are other people on stage who must just be like what? Or like, what? Is, this, is this okay? <laughs> and then You're like, being rude. Are they being rude? <laughs> as soon as they start talking to each other, it's like everything else just disappears from the world. Um, and, and I also think it's notable that they're always either in front of other people or one of them is masked. They're always performing. That's what I was going to say, is it feels like this banter, like everything else falls away to a degree, but I also think it's their way of entertaining everyone. Is they're like, we hate each other. That's what the people are here for. Yep. Yeah. And like, if you've ever had an ex who you had this relationship with, it is very like, 
Yeah, I feel like a lot of people, how they process their, like, God, I'm not over you is just to be really performatively, like, I hate him, and I'm gonna snipe at him every time I see him, and we're gonna, like, make all our friends. And isn't it funny? Yeah, make all our, it's like in the plot in Superstore, where Amy and Jonah have all those very public fights to convince people that they don't like each other, and then everyone's like, you guys are totally dating. Yeah. Because... Yeah, it's just that, like... Because the opposite of love isn't hate. It's indifference. Mm, It's beautiful. Um, Yeah, and then as soon as we get them alone together, Benedict is like, Hey, are you okay? Are you upset? Also, Also, I love you. I love you. I know that's weird. But, like, it all just... So much of the performance... They're still funny, and she's still a little bitter and upset because her cousin has just been bullied in front of everyone. But, like, a lot of it falls away. And I also think... Why Beatrice needs Benedict is, like, when she's emotional, she goes to this very dark, violent, dark, violent place of, like, kill him, eat his heart. (laughs) Also this, like, when we see her respond to the gulling scene, this very, like, elevated, poetic place. And Benedict is just, like, a really grounding presence. I know, they're so balanced. Uh, also, when he's trying to think up rhymes to write a poem for her, and he's, and like, he's like, these are cliche. He's like, the only rhyme for lady is baby, but that's bad. <laughs> also, that's not even a rhyme. It also just feels like Shakespeare being like, I'm not going to write a poem. I'm just going to write this guy being bad at writing a poem. <laughs> Shakespeare's like, at this point, you know I can write a poem. I have nothing to prove. Yeah, and it's weirdly also after so many, we see a lot of couples in Shakespeare who woo with flowery language or like Romeo and Juliet who match each other because they can complete this sonnet and it's so beautiful and elevated. Romantic. And Beatrice and Benedict match each other because they can like fight dirty in the mud with their words because they can like really best each other in prose. Very sexy. They're, yeah, they're just like kind of the the body prosy counterpoint to Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Also, you have to assume they're both just like amazing at sex. Yeah. And now, Goodreads Much Ado About Nothing was an awful book. We live in the 21st century, not the 17th century. (laughs) Thy and thou are irrelevant to my English. Therefore, I give this book one star. Just for you, Miss Ankletel. God, I hate this place so much. Full of misunderstandings, bratty characters, and a nasty message. This is nothing compared to Macbeth or the Merchant of Venice, but rather on the lines of the Taming of the Shrew. Bear in mind, however, I read this in the early hours, <laughs> the early hours of the morning, 12 to 5 a.m. Would not recommend. Five stars, 1.5, purely because it's Shakespeare. Ages, I don't know, 11 or over if they're dirty enough in the mind to get the double meanings, happy face. (laughs) This book was incredibly hard to understand as far as language. The plot, however, was very basic and predictable. I would not recommend this book to any of my friends. (laughs) I'm definitely a better friend by not recommending this book to them. They will thank me later. I did not like this book much. It felt like it was made for another time, which it was, and 
and I could not, not for lack of trying, relate the characters' situations. I thought the characters were too quick to decide they were in love with their counterparts, and that it was just not... Whoa. And that it was not just some <laughs> passing infatuation. Still, I have to credit to Mr. Shakespeare. He managed to actually make it a bit amusing and usually used Beatrice and Benedict as the conduit for his humor, <laughs> usually through their quick wit and almost animus banter. And their names start with a B. <laughs> Shoot me now because Shakespeare cannot write. Cool, but um, much confused. Frick this book, actually. <laughs> Shakespeare, WTH, were you thinking? Wait, that's probably too harsh. Eh. <laughs> I had to scrub my brain after reading this. Yuck. Typical Shakespeare. He creates an entertaining play about adults playing tricks on one another, but he always has to go too far and ruin it by adding <laughs> the element of death, usually suicide. Oh God. Finally, that play, no offense, was pretty damn horrible. Like, seriously, everyone had a seriously stupid brain. Especially Claudio. Seriously, he falls for, like, everything. He even fell for that thing Don John said during the dance where Don Pedro was hero, and what Don John said was so unconvincing and weak. How could Claudio possibly fall for that? Also, I don't understand why Hero would ever still love Claudio, even though he ruined her entire life and reputation. It's so strange. The title is very fitting, as it is a very long play about nothing. The title is very fitting, as it is a very long play about nothing. <laughs> they just said it twice. Imagine a book to be a fine cake. In a cake, we have multiple ingredients that ultimately compose a delicious food. We can represent those ingredients as components of a story. Okay. Flour is a good setting and story structure. Eggs are likable characters. Sugar is interesting relationships between characters and so on. Well, this book is like dumping three pounds of sugar on a plate and calling it cake. When I read this book, I nearly asphyxiated on character involvement. It was like someone blended up 18 chick flicks and crammed them all into one book. I still have whiplash from trying to follow all of it. I would not recommend this book unless you were looking to kill somebody. <laughs> Genre is play. <laughs> I did not like this book very much. There was a lot of conflict between characters. Whenever Beatrice and Benedict get into a fight, they get very witty. Most of the time, I can't understand what they are talking about because it is in Old English, like yay, hither, and so on. Does no one check for Hero's pulse? Step one, people. Ba, 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 ba. This has been Goodreads Reviews. And now, the part of the podcast where we read an iconic monologue in a series of funny voices. We do. All right, what are you going to uh, uh, do for us today, Charlotte? It's Beatrice at the part where she's like, ah, oh, Benedict likes me. What? Amazing. I'd like you to start it off with really just that intention. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what fire is in mine ears? Can this be true? Stand I condemned Mr. Monopoly. <laughs> The famous voice, Mr. Monopoly. <laughs> Just feel what feels right. Stand I condemned for pride and scorn so much? Contempt, farewell. Muddled professor. And maiden pride, adieu. 
No glory lives behind the back of such a demon. And Benedict Lamont, I will recrite Kermit the Frog. Teeming my wild heart to thy loving hand. Yes. If thou dost love, my kindness shall insult Apathetic thee. teen. To bind our loves up in a holy band. For others say thou dost deserve, and I believe it better Leprechaun. than... Leprechaun. Reportingly! And that's the last word of that. I know, I just <laughs> wanted to throw you one last. This is a more, more kind of a Scottish leprechaun. <laughs> Sorry to the beautiful nation of Ireland. But, um, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. God, we just, we love you. We love this play. We do. Beatrice and Benedict are relationship goals, but, like, if they were nice to each other from the beginning. Honestly, still relationship goals. <laughs> I, I would take it at uh, this point. I'll take it. Um, please share Give and subscribe. Give us some love on this yep, Valentine's that, oh, that's Day. Good. Send yeah. us a cardboard box of chocolates, by which I mean subscribe to our podcast and yeah. leave us a five-star You know five what's star better review. than chocolate? A five-star review. <laughs> if you have an opinion that you'd like to share, you can email us at whatyouwillpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, we want to hear your thoughts or your roses are red, violets are blue style love letters. Mm-hmm. Please. Please, we need this. Roses are red, <laughs> violets are blue. Listen to our podcast. Please, oh God, please, please, please. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye now. Goodbye. <laughs>